Amen. So good to see you guys. Um, this happens every once in a while. If you've been around church for a while, you know that uh, stuff like this happens. This isn't the first time in my life I found out late on Saturday that I had to preach the next morning. And as the son of a pastor, my dad used to always say, you better be ready in season and out of season. It's the old way we used to say it, um, because you never know uh, when you're going to have to get up and preach. So I'm excited to be here and excited to preach um, on peace uh, this morning. You know, as I was thinking about uh, these moments and I was thinking through my life and I was meditating last night on, on what it would mean to, to kind of lean into the peace of the Lord uh, this morning, uh, I was thinking back to college. And in college, I was a really angsty young guy. I know you could probably imagine. Um, I was just really pent up with a lot of energy. All right, I still have a lot of energy but I was really pent up as an 18, 19-year-old young man uh, in college. And, uh, and I remember, and this has been a running theme, and so maybe it will become a running joke, but I was really wanting to get married, and I really wanted uh, to connect, and I wanted to ask girls out, but I didn't know how to do any of that, okay? I was homeschooled, all right? Uh, if you homeschool your kids, hey, you need to lean into this and figure out how to make sure your young men know how to ask girls out when they get to college. I didn't know how to do that, okay? But I remember there was this girl I had a crush on um, named Allison, and, uh, and I really, uh, I had a crush on her. I didn't know how to tell her I liked her. I didn't know how to ask her out. Um, but there was this thing a bunch of my friends were doing at the top of this kind of small mountain. We had these Ozark Mountains in Branson, Missouri, and they were going to go build a bonfire at the top of this mountain uh, and hang out one weekend. And I thought, man, I'd really like to take Alice into that bonfire. You know, we're all going to be around that bonfire. It's going to be fun. We're going to hang out. I'd really like to get her to go do that. And, and so I just like, man, I, I, I just like sweated it out, man. I was stressing so bad. But I finally was able to like say, hey, I'm going to go to this bonfire. Would you want, are you going to go to the bonfire? Would you, can we, do you want to go to the bonfire together? And finally got those words out. She was like, sure. I was like, oh, man. I thought I was going to have an aneurysm, you know? Like, I'm going to die here. Um, and so we went over to this place that I'd never been before. And I didn't realize that to get to the top of the mountain, we had to park down at this place. Uh, and then we were going to have to walk through these uh, really thickly wooded area to get to the top, right? So now me and Allison are in the woods, walking through the woods for like a mile to get to the top of this place. So we finally get up there. Uh, it's glorious. It's great. Somehow we found it. You know, like, okay, everything's going great. Um, and we're hanging out at the bonfire, and like as you do at bonfires, the sun goes down, it gets dark, um, people are like leaving, not paying attention, uh, and then we had to leave. And so we started walking down the mountain. Um, and this is the days before, you know, your iPhone, when you could just put your flashlight on, you know what I'm saying? I know a lot of you young people don't know what I'm talking about, but there was a day back in the day we didn't all have cell phones, okay? I got my first cell phone in grad school after college, and it wasn't an iPhone, okay? So I had no iPhone, no cell phone, and no flashlight. Hadn't been thinking ahead. So now I'm in the woods, in the country, and it's black. I mean, pitch black. I cannot see my hand in front of my face. But I'm walking with this girl that I've wanted to talk to for a while, but I'm scared. Can I get an amen? Like, I don't know how you, if you've ever been out in the woods, in the dark, 
and you cannot, it's really kind of freaky to not be able to see your own hand in the dark. You know, you're like, all right, like, this is not good. I can't see my foot. I can't see where we're going. I know we have to go downhill. That's all I know for sure. But we're going downhill. I'm with this girl. And I, I, I really wanted to portray confidence, you know? Like, I got us. I got this. I'm thinking to myself, you know, hey, this could work out good for me. Maybe she's scared, and I'll be the strong guy that'll rescue us, you know? And, and uh, so we're walking down, and I'm just portraying, of course, we're going to be fine, but I'm terrified in the dark and in the woods, Right, And so we're walking down, and I'm just uh, trying to keep it all in, you know, not sure where we're going. I'm pretty disoriented because I can't see, um, and I'm super nervous around this girl. So it's like a bad combo. And uh, we're coming down the mountain, and all of a sudden, I hear what sounds like a lion just roar right to my left. Now, Allison was standing on my left. And when I heard that roar, without thinking, I shoved Allison, <laughs> and I bolted down the hill, tripped, fell, bit the dust, and was laying there, heart racing, like I'm about to be eaten by some animal out here. And then a big flashlight shone into my eyes, and it was my buddy Joe. See, Joe thought... It'd be funny to leave before me and Allison did and get down in the woods and wait for us to come and get us. And in that moment, all my confusion and fear, it couldn't hide anymore. It came bubbling out. I was not the hero. Allison's laying in the dirt, wondering where her hero went. We never got another date, just so you know. Um, and, and I don't know about you, but, but that is kind of a metaphor for, I think, sometimes how it can feel in our daily lives, especially in the climate we live in today, where we feel uncertain about everything. I mean, just when we think we're confident about our health or confident about the world, way, way things are going to go in the world, then all of a sudden we realize that we're not in control and we're not certain what's going to happen next. Uh, we, we look at the way society is working, and it all feels kind of uncertain, and there's this unrest happening in society, and, and we're unsure what to do with that, and where it's going to go, and what's going to happen, and we just feel like this, there's this fragmenting going on. But then, of course, we, we, we've got this pressure, this image, right, that we're, we're always trying to project about confidence, and where we know things are going, and what we know we're going to do, and, and our social medias are loaded with this, like, like, this portrayed fake confidence, but we really don't know, and we're actually pretty terrified about what's going on in our life and in our communities and in our country and in our world, and, and there's just so much uncertainty. And then we run into the story of God, and it's not like the people of God are any different than we are. They're, they're, they're oppressed. They're, they're, they're having lots of things happen to them that they cannot control. Um, and the story of God enters into that, and enters into the idea of a government that's going to be different than the government they live under? Is anybody longing for a day when things will be different under the rule and reign of our government? I don't care what political party you're under. We all kind of can feel the angst that things are not great. And we don't really know how to solve those problems. 
And so every few years, if you've been following politics, right, we're, we flip it around and we vote for this politician and this political party, maybe we can solve this major problem. And, and then, you know, a few months in, we're like, well, that's not working. So in the midterms, we wipe out everybody in their party. And then we're like, okay, maybe that'll help. You know, we'll just have them pulling on each other real hard, make sure nobody can get anything done, you know. And then later on, we vote somebody else in and it was like, oh, that sucks. So then we wipe them out in the midterms. <laughs> I don't think we have any confidence that any of that's going to fix what's going on in our fragmented world. And what's beautiful is when you come to this, I love, I want to open to this. I love the line in Isaiah 9 where the prophet speaks to this. He speaks to a people that are being oppressed by Assyria at the time. And, and, And not only are they oppressed by Syria, but they've kind of lost like where they are, like they, they don't know what's up. They, they don't know like how to flourish in their families. They're not following the law of God when it comes to their relationships and their family. They're not worshiping God in the way God has asked them to. And they followed after pagan gods and they found themselves really confused and really broken and in a lot of pain. And then the prophet comes to them and I love what he says in verse two. He says, the people... And that's the people of God. That's the the Jewish nation. The people have walked in darkness, right? And they who have walked in darkness, they will see or have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. It hasn't happened yet, just so you know. I love that he's talking in that this has happened, and it hasn't happened. But he says, this people who are in darkness and darkness is, is, is really connected in the Bible to sin, paganism, lostness, confusion, that the family, the, this family that's supposed to be the safe place, being ripped apart and brothers hating each other and hating their fathers and their mothers and, and things not going the way they're supposed to go. They've, they've known darkness but they've seen a great light and a light has shone on them. Verse three says, you multiplied the nations and you have increased its joy. Again, these people do not know that joy. It's the prophet saying, this is what's gonna happen. You increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his oppressor and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken. In other words, God, this oppression that we feel, you've broken it. And again, they they haven't experienced this yet. This is the prophet speaking about the plan and the purpose of God. And here's what he says. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle torment, or the, the noise of the chaos of the battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Verse six, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given and the government shall be on his shoulder. So the people that walk in darkness and in war and in battle and in oppression, there's coming a child. And then that child is gonna have a government. He's gonna have a rule and a reign. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Why Wonderful Counselor? Because the people are confused and they're in darkness and they don't know which way to go. 
You, you can see this. I see this all the time. I talk with people all the time trying to navigate relationships, trying to navigate their relationship to work and their calling and God's purpose on their life. And there's so much confusion and the culture just keeps throwing stuff at us that's more confusing than the last thing they said. And he says, hey, in the middle of all of this, oppression and brokenness and in darkness. There's a government coming and his name will be Wonderful Counselor. He's going to have some stuff to say about which way is up. He's mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. I love that. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do that. I love verse 6 and 7 because verse 6 and 7 is the good news of Luke 2. We read Luke 2, the shepherds, right? They're, they're hanging out, doing their thing with the sheep, and the angels show up, and the glory of the Lord shines around the, she the shepherds, and they're afraid. The glory of the Lord is always terrifying, by the way. And the shepherds are afraid, and the angels say, don't be afraid. There's a Savior coming, Christ the Lord, and you're going to find him as a child and a baby, and his peace is going to spread over the earth to those who he is well pleased with. This is the good news that Luke talks about, that there's a, a ruler coming who's a counselor, our God, the prince of peace, and of the increase of his kingdom, of the increase of his rule, the growth of his rule will never end. And that's helpful because right now we're sitting here going, man, I, I don't know if I see the rule of the Lord over all things. And maybe just start with your own heart. Do you see the rule of the Lord over your own heart? In other words, when you look into your desires, to your hopes, to your dreams, are they shaped by the Lordship of Christ over you? Is who he is and what he says and what his will is, are, are those things governing your heart or do you have other things kind of pulling on it? And then if I just move from my heart, I go, wait, okay, God, where, where's the increase of your rule over my heart when then I look over my relationships? Is the, is the lordship of Christ ruling over my relationships? Is it ruling over my marriage? Is it dictating the way that we interact with one another and serve one another and love one another? And we might just get stuck in those two places and say, man, we're not seeing much of the rule of the Lord over me in these areas. There's a lot of my heart that's not submitted to Christ. There's a lot of my relationships that is broken that, that I'm, I haven't really committed to the way the Lord wants to work and what he's asked of me to do in those relationships. But, but those aren't the only two spheres we live in, right? And then you move out. Is, do we see the government of the Lord and the peace of the Lord increasing over our community, over our church, over our city? The promise of the prophet is that this ruler is going to come and his peace and his government will continually grow and nothing can stop it. It will increase over all things. And I think the question is, how? 
How does this rule of the Lord, particularly as it relates to the peace of the Lord, how does that begin to make inroads? And we see some echoes of this in Jesus announcing the kingdom, right? Coming, the kingdom come, and as he begins to operate in the world around him, and as he deals with his disciples, and as he deals with the community, as he deals with religious leaders, and we see him constantly announcing the kingdom breaking into the world. That was 2,000 years ago, and here we are as Christ followers. Is the government of the Lord increasing in the spheres that we have to operate in? And if not, how? How do we lean into this promise? How do we lean into the purposes and plans of God and experience the peace that God would offer I want to look at these four areas I just mentioned. My own heart, our relationships, our communities, and the lordship of Christ over us directly. I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 2, I think, to try to answer this question. How does the peace and the rule of the Lord grow in us and over us and through us? I want you to check out this big idea, this theme, linked very closely to the idea that, that Jesus is the prince of peace. But look at what this says in Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's a, it's a, a phrase that just ought to shake us. That if there is no blood offering for us, if Christ has not come in the flesh and died on the cross, you and I are far off from God, except through the work of the blood of the cross for us and over us. We're, we're far off. But in Christ, those who are far off are not that way anymore. We are now brought near. For look at this. For he himself is our peace. Jesus himself is our peace. So that's the big idea. The prince of peace and the rule and the government of the Lord over his people and over all of creation, Jesus is our peace. And so what flows out of that? Well, we just saw that we were far off. We've been brought near. Another way that the Bible will talk about this is we were who were once enemies of God. We were in rebellion with God. We were like the people of Israel in darkness, worshiping false gods, pursuing what we thought was right in our own eyes, choosing whatever value systems we thought would work for us. How often do you hear that? Hey, you just need to find the value system that works for you. Problem with that is that usually in, in every case, when you begin to press into things that aren't the way God has designed them, you, all you find in that journey is pain and brokenness, within your own heart and in the way you interact with every other relationship. And so he says, hey, you were an enemy. You were far off, but the blood of Christ has made you near. Look what it says next. He has made us both one and has broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. If you're in the room right now and Jesus is just kind of a byline, just a thought, you're not sure whether he's supposed to rule every part of your life, you're not just kind of in an okay zone. You're in enemy territory. You're in rebellion unless the blood of Christ has drawn you near. 
unless you have seen the lordship of Christ and realize that there is no peace, no happiness, no satisfaction unless you are in him. If you try to find that or you're looking for that anywhere outside of Jesus, you're not just an okay person trying to figure things out. You're an enemy. But the cross has taken enemies and shifted enemies to being friends. The peace of the Lord, the the real peace that everybody on planet Earth needs is they need to be in peace with God. And they're not. And we weren't if we didn't know Jesus and when we didn't know Jesus. There's a lot of other kinds of peace that we can all be aware of. We can look outside the door and we can see all kinds of fractures. We can see generational fractures, ethnic fractures, political fractures, religious fractures. We can see all kinds of fractures outside of our door. None of them are as critical as you and I having peace in our relationship with God. None of them. The fracture under all the fractures is people rejected the glory of God and put themselves up as the ruler. And the cross has obliterated that hostility. And through faith in Christ, we can have peace through the blood of Jesus. And then he said, it wasn't just the peace that he gave us with God, but it's peace he gave us with each other. He made us both one. Now, who's he talking to here? He's talking to Jews and Gentiles who don't like each other. So imagine any group of people you can think of in our country, just in our little part of the world, and think of people who don't like each other. Jews and Gentiles like each other less than that. Or around here, we get subtle dislikes, so we just live in different neighborhoods. Subtle dislikes, so we just don't make friends with those kinds of people or don't go to those parts of towns or don't go to those schools or... But in this time, like, you didn't, you were overtly, obviously racist. If you were a Gentile, you didn't like a Jew. And if you were a Jew, you didn't like a Gentile. And if you were a Jew, you really believed that there has, God had no purpose for Gentiles. They were dirty. They were disgusting. They were pagan. You, you, you didn't want to be touched by one. You wouldn't be found eating with one, and they sure as heck were not going to be part of the family of God. And Paul says, no, Jesus is our peace, and you, Jewish believer, were God's enemy. You, Gentile believer, you were God's enemy, but he obliterated the hostility through the cross, and he puts you in one. You know, if, uh, if the cross can obliterate our hostility with God, which relationship are you uh, not reconciled with right now that he can't, he can't fix? Have you ever thought about that? Like if God can look at us and say, though you knew I was God, you decided you wanted to live for yourself, and yet through the cross, I'm gonna gather you back to me. If God can reconcile us and all that we are and everything broken about us, if he can look at us and he can remove our shame, and forgive every offensive thought of our heart and mind. If he can do that, what broken relationship are you in right now, or are you walking with right now that he can't reconcile? Paul would say nothing. There's no relationship that the gospel can't move to. When it is applied, when the rule and the peace of the Lord is applied, there is no relationship, it seems to say, that God can't build back 
together. For he himself is our peace, and he's in his flesh broken down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so that Jews and Gentiles become one family, reconciled together. God has reconciled us, shifted us from enemies to friends, and he's built us together and made us a family. He took strangers and aliens and said, you're fellow citizens of the saints, verse 19 says, and you're, and you're members of the household of God. So the rule and the reign of Christ has to deal with these two places first. It's got to deal with that we're in hostility with God, and that might be a wake-up call for somebody in the room this morning, that you've kind of just been a good moral person, you're kind of cruising, you're kind of hanging out, you come to church, but in terms of you and God, you think everything's good and that there's nothing you really have to do to submit to the Lordship of Christ. And you definitely don't have to repent because you're a pretty good person. You need the peace of the Lord that comes through the blood of the cross. That's where you are. Or maybe you've looked at relationships around you and you've been like, hey, you know what, I'm fine, I'm good, me and Jesus are good, I'm great. Everybody else can do their own thing. I don't need them. I don't need, my, I don't need a relationship with my dad. It's fine. I don't need it. Stay over there. I don't need to fix that broken relationship with that person at work. It's fine. I don't need them. I'll do my job. I'll clock in. I'll clock out. I don't need them. It's fine. And what all those kinds of attitudes have in us is, one, is we don't want to shift, which means the gospel hasn't got to us and broken us yet. But we also don't believe in the power of the gospel to make peace with those that we have a broken relationship with. And, and Paul says, man, that's, that gospel is doing this thing. That's the purpose of this gospel. It's, it's obliterating hostility and putting us back in right relationship. These are the things that happen under the government of the Lord as his peace extends over us. You know, as I think about these two things, and I, I think about my relationship with other people and brokenness that needs to be healed, I think sometimes, man, I, I want to do that, but there's still like kind of this internal turmoil inside of me. And that, have you ever noticed that if you're not healthy inside, it's very hard to be healthy outside? Anybody notice that? And that sometimes, and this is just maybe helpful and maybe some grace for somebody in the room who goes, man, I want to fix that relationship. I'd love to reconcile there, but, but I'm still so wounded in here. I don't know how to do that. Like, I don't know how to operate in that way. I don't know how to move in that way because internally, I'm, I'm still kind of tore up. And I love Jesus and I'm submitted to Christ and, and I'm following him, but there's wounds and hurt and, and uncertainty inside of me that, that if I try to reconcile when that's still going on, um, I don't think it's going to go well. Does anybody relate to that? And I think what's beautiful when I think about that is I think, okay, that God has, God has a personal peace for us where he wants to shift our anxieties and he wants to give us rest. He wants us to be able to be in this place of rest and who we are and in our identity with Christ so that from that place, that calm waters of rest, we can begin to love and reconcile with people we need to reconcile with. Look at what Philippians says. You guys know this verse, but I think it's amazing when you see the connection to the government and the rule of Jesus. Paul says, the Lord is at hand. That means the Lord is coming. 
Like, live in light of the Lord. He's not far off. He's not in the distance somewhere. He's close, and he's coming closer. Like, he's on the move. And in light of his closeness and coming closeness, look what he says. Do not be anxious. I love how he connects our internal anxiety to our recognition of the lordship of Jesus. I think at the root of anxiety is us forgetting who's in charge of the universe. And we start getting the subtle lie that like, I can, I'm in charge of some stuff. I'm in charge of this. I got to do it. I got to fix it. I'm in charge. I got this stuff over here. I got, I'm, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're, I got I to gotta fix this. I gotta, I'm in charge of it. It's falling apart. I got to fix it. I got some stuff that, that are under my, my, my responsibility. I, I'm in charge. I, I got to fix it. I, I got to hold it together. And, and we subtly move ourselves into the place that only the Lord's supposed to sit. I think, I think Paul's saying, man, anxiety is rooted in losing our focus on who's Lord. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, what's prayer and supplication? It's submission. It's submission. I'm not in control. I'm not in control of almost anything going on around me. So I submit it. I bow I offer it. I submit these things uh, to the Lord in prayer. I make my requests known. And the peace of God, I love how the Bible keeps connecting who God is with peace. He's the prince of peace. He is our peace in Ephesians 2. And here, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It fences up our heart. It guards our heart. The moment we try to move into the place only God's supposed to sit, we lose everything that protects our heart. And he, and he says, man, I, I need you to, to live in the reality that the government and the peace of the Lord is growing and increasing over all the earth. So rest in him through prayer, prayer and supplication. Um, about four years ago, um, there was a season in my life where there were a lot of things going on, and... Um, there was, uh, we were under some massive, the church that I was pastoring at the time was under some massive financial pressure. We were in the middle of a building project that came sooner than we wanted it to. In other words, we had to move with faster than we wanted to from our old location into a new location, found a new location, had to raise money for the new location, but also had to renovate the new location and a bunch of stuff, a lot of mobilizing. And that same year, I had uh, two couples in the church whose marriages were just falling apart. And it was a situation where I was the only full-time pastor. I had some little part-time staff, but, but I was the only full-time pastor, which means I did all of that stuff. And so I had these two families in our church that required hours and hours of time because they were falling apart and on the verge of divorce. And, and some things had really come in and fractured their relationship. So I was meeting with these people, and they were taking up hours of my time. And then I was going to the church and painting walls in the sanctuary with people and scraping floors in the kids' area and, and then having to get on the phone and call some of my best friends again to say, could you maybe support us so we can get through the next month? And there was this like season, this like year-long season like this. And I remember at about the eight-month mark, I was walking in the parking lot 
after just doing some counseling with one of these couples, spending two hours with them, you know, helping them navigate some stuff and hearing them yelling and calming people down and trying to point them into what it looked like to forgive and, and to accept and to heal and to communicate. And I was out in the parking lot and I was ready to go home and still had a sermon I had to prepare. I think it was like a Saturday, late Saturday, and I couldn't catch my breath in the parking lot. Anybody ever had a moment like that? you like, you, you can't. Like, you're like, hey, I, I'm having trouble here. Like, I didn't just work out, so I don't know why I'm short of breath. And I, I couldn't catch my breath. And I thought, well, okay, that's okay. Like, and I tried to take a few more steps, and I had to stop. And I couldn't catch my breath. I said, man, I, what's wrong with me? You know? And, uh, and, I, and I realized that, that my body was reacting to all this stuff. They thought, well, I gotta fix their marriage. I gotta fix it. Somehow I gotta get in there and they're gonna have a divorce if I don't fix it. And I gotta raise the money for this. And if I don't get in there and raise the money for that, I gotta fix it. If we don't, this whole thing's gonna fall apart and we're not gonna have a place. And I gotta, and then they gotta work and, and I gotta preach. And if I don't preach, it's gonna fall apart. And I begin to just feel the weight of all of these things. And, and I remember it brought me to a place where I was like, wait, I'm not in control of any of those things. Like, I'm just, I, like, I'm not in control. And it led me to, to reach out and do something that I've been too proud to do, which is to reach out for help and to ask someone to move into my life and to ask someone to help me navigate the pressure I was under and to, and to share vul- with some vulnerability about the things I was going through. And, and I remember just, it was a lot of things that we talked about, but all had it its root that, that I was not the Lord. And there was one. He's good, and he has a plan, and his government is increasing with or without you and me. His purposes are being accomplished. I love this because this is echoed again when he talks about peace in Isaiah. Look at this, Isaiah 26. Again, you may have heard this, but I love it. Isaiah says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or fixed on you because he trusts you, because he trusts you. The rich rich pool of peace that's available to the people of God is, is in the pool of trust, saying, hey, I trust you. I trust that you are going to take care of the people of God. I trust that you care more about that marriage than I do. I trust that in this brokenness I've got in this one relationship, you want it to be healed. I trust you. You want it more than I do. You want to see, you want to see your kingdom increase. So I'm going to stay my mind on you and trust you put my confidence in you that you will do the things that are according to your purpose and plan and the things that are good for me. Verse four, it says, trust in the Lord forever. What's he trying to say? Isaiah is trying to say, I want you to have eternal peace. What's it rooted in? Trust in the Lord forever. 
Fix your mind on the Lord, not today, not tomorrow, but for all eternity. This is the plan for the people of God. Get the Lord in your view and never get your eyes off of him. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. He is a sure thing that your life can be built on. So we've got peace that comes to us, that moves us from enemies to friends with God himself. We've got peace that's happened that's allowed us as we grab onto the love of Jesus for us that puts us in relationship with one another and heals our broken relationships. We've got internal peace available to us as we recognize the sovereignty and the lordship and the government of God over our lives. And so he shifts our anxieties to rest. And then I think the last thing here, and Fanny can come up and, and I'm almost done. My first close is, uh, is as this government's increasing, you and I as the children of God are put in motion. I love what Matthew 5 says, that blessed are the peacemakers. And I've always grabbed onto that, but I've always wondered what does it mean as a, as a person who's living in the kingdom of God, who wants to see the kingdom of God increase and expand on planet earth, how do I operate as a peacemaker? Um, I was, uh, when all the George Floyd stuff happened and um, all the Black Lives Matters erupted, uh, all over the country. We had a bunch of them happening uh, in, um, we had a bunch of them happening in, in Conway, Arkansas. And so I, uh, I went to a Black Lives Matter um, march. And uh, when I went to it, Conway is a fairly small town. It's probably 50,000 people. So when I got there, I had good friends that I went to the gym with that were police officers. They were all lying in the street. Um, and then I had good friends from my church, African-Americans in my church, and, and also African-Americans that I, that I knew in the community. And they were all there. And, and uh, I had never felt unrest the way that I felt unrest that day. I don't know if anybody experienced any of that during that time, but there was this sense of unrest that was like, like overcoming. And, and I got there and I just thought to myself, how, how do I act as a peacemaker in this place? As someone who's gripped by Jesus, how do I act as a peacemaker in this place? And uh, I didn't know, and I got there, I was, I was terrified, I had no idea. And then I saw my friends who were police officers, and I, had, I didn't know what to say, but I saw them there, and I could tell they were stressed, and I went up to my buddy Adam, and, and I just put my arms around him, and I said, man, I, I love you. And I saw a good African-American buddy of mine and I could see he was stressed and, and there was this angst and, and people were trying to chant so you couldn't hear over that. And, and I think about 100, 100 meters away, you know, tear gas had hit in the ground so our eyes were kind of watering. It didn't hit us, but it kind of floated over to where we were. And, and I, I saw him and I don't know if we were crying because we were distressed or crying because there was a little bit of tear gas in the air. I can't tell, but I want to say it wasn't because I was emotional, but... Maybe I was, and, but I remember I put my arms around him and I didn't know what to say then either. But I, could, I remember Ephesians. He preached peace to those who were near and those who were far off. And then I thought, wait a minute. 
If this increase of the government of the Lord is not just a spiritual thing, though it deeply is a spiritual thing, yet it puts the people of God in that motion in a real world with real people, how are we to operate in that real world as peacemakers and as peacekeepers? And the Lord led me to this verse in Isaiah 52. And I thought, man, what joy could the people of God bring when they lean into this verse? And here's what it says. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes, who declares peace, who brings good news of happiness and who publishes salvation who says to Zion, your God reigns. There is something beautiful when we can walk into a broken world and we don't have to get caught up in the things that are tearing us apart, but we can say, our God reigns and he has peace for us. And in that moment, in that rally, I, I think the only thing I knew for sure was that people needed to know that I was not their enemy. I was for them. I was for the hurting and I was for the, the one who was afraid. I was, a, I was for the one confused and uncertain and I was for the one who thought they were in the right. I was for them because I came with the good news of a God who reigns over all of it and proclaims peace. God has made us he has brought in peace for us. He's built this family. This family exists because God gave us peace with one another. He's given us internal peace. And he has flipped his people and his children into motion to go right out there and extend the kingdom everywhere we go with a gospel. What's the gospel? It's a gospel that God forgives so we forgive. It's a gospel that you're made in the image of God. So when I see you, I'm gonna celebrate you're made in the image of God. It's a gospel that says you feel lonely and you feel like no one can accept you because of your brokenness, but there's a family right here. You're invited to the family. You can be a part of this thing by the grace of God. And there's a future. And all the things that we live in now as the kingdom increases, there will come a day where it will all be done away with. And you can have peace through the rule and reign of Jesus. So let's stand. We're gonna respond in worship. And if there's confusion or turmoil, or something fractured inside of you. Maybe, maybe it's just a personal thing between you and God, or maybe it's something fractured in the person you're supposed to have the most intimate relationship with. In these moments as we respond, I would encourage you to first submit to Christ and then ask if his rule and reign would lead you to reconcile with these people you need to reconcile with. We got people who will pray for you on either side of the stage, the prayer team. And if you need someone to pray for you, go ahead and come up in these moments. But let's press into what God has provided when he entered into planet Earth 2,000 years ago through the work of Jesus. Let's do that right now.